Exodus chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 10. We're finally out of Exodus 12 and 13. 14 verse 10, if you would read along with me. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would, be, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Let's pray. Your Father, God, Lord, I pray that these words of Moses are on our heart, that we can stand firm, not because of the strength that's within us, Lord, because of the character, because of the attributes, because of who you are, Lord, because of our faith in you, that we could stand firm, that we could be courageous in times of trial, Lord. God, I pray as we go through our passage this morning and look at different ways people handle trials and different cir- difficult circumstances, Lord, that we learn about you and your faithfulness that we can walk through a trial, Lord, in full trust that you are with us, that you are sovereign, that you're all-powerful, that you're good, that you love us. God, I pray that we have the same courage that Moses has as the army was coming down, as they were stuck between the sea and this army, Lord, the Israelites. But I know there are many in this room that are facing trials that, that feel the same way, impossible circumstances, Lord. God, I pray that they sleep well at night, trusting not again, Lord, in themselves, but in you. Be with us this morning. In your son's name, amen. We're going to be jumping back into the narrative of Exodus. We've spent a lot of time, again, in chapters 12 and 13, looking over these three rituals that were to help the Israelites remember uh, the Passover and the historical events um, within the Exodus. We have spent so much time in these two chapters on these three rituals because really those three rituals dominate the text. In all of the text in chapters 12 and, and 13, there's really very little historical narrative and it's mostly laws surrounding these rituals. So we spent a lot of time going over that, but we're going to jump back into the historical narrative of the Exodus, and we're really going to be looking at Israel leaving Egypt starting this morning. I really believe, too, to understand our passage this morning, we need to look at four different characters that are mentioned in this passage. We have Joseph, Pharaoh, Israel, and Moses. We're going to look at these four different characters and how all these characters responded to 
responded to challenging situations, to trials differently. So the four points of the sermon this morning is going to be the faith of, Mo, or the faith of um, Joseph, the blindness of Pharaoh, the fear of Israel, and the courage of Moses. So let's start with the faith of Joseph. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Should we back a page or two? Verse 17. It says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, again, this is after the 10th plague, after the death of the firstborn, after the Passover, Pharaoh not only let Israel go, but it says that Pharaoh thrusted Israel out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, there's a little interesting phrase that the author adds there. The author is Moses, and I think it's significant. It's this phrase saying, although that way was near. That was near. Added information, and again, I think it's significant, that God didn't lead them, the Israelites, by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. The way of the Philistines was the most direct and quickest way to the promised land, the end uh, destination of the Israelites. Between Egypt and and Palestine, it followed the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. If you looked at a map, it's obviously the most direct way from Egypt to the land of Israel. A conservative estimate, and this kind of blew me away when when I thought about it, said it took about two weeks to walk from Egypt to the promised land. Two weeks from the from the land of Goshen, where, where, which is in Egypt, where the Israelites were, to Palestine, the promised land. But again, look at verse 17. It says this, when, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Why not? Well, it tells us, look, for God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. God knew Israel's heart. He knew that they weren't ready to cross into the promised land, that they were not ready for war. And this is not militarily ready, not, not that they didn't have weapons or training. They weren't ready to fight. They weren't ready in faith. They weren't ready to trust God in crossing over to the land. You know, as I was studying this, just think about the first battle Israel has 40 years later in the promised land. Who was it against? say it out loud. Jericho. And what was the war strategy at Jericho? This walled city that was impossible to to invade, what did they do? They walked around it seven times and then yelled at the wall. It wasn't militarily. It was faith. They weren't ready to trust God in going into battle. Verse verse 18 says this, "But, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Now that phrase, equipped for battle, is a little misleading. It doesn't mean they're ready to fight. It really just means that Moses had them organized. I think the NASB really captures it better. It says this, the the sons of Israel went up in battle formation. Just remember, Moses spent 40 years learning um, how to be a leader in Egypt, in the best schools of Egypt, before um, he left Egypt. had the Israelites in battle formation organized. Now look at verse 19. It says this, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. 
For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. That's a, a very interesting verse. In fact, it's one of those verses, if you don't stop and just pay attention to, you would just go right past it and not really understand what's going on. I believe to, to understand this this verse here, you really need to understand the faith of the patriarchs. The faith of the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph. Their faith and what they put their hope in. So to understand this, if you would keep a bookmark in Exodus, we'll be back. But if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. want to read about the faith of the patriarchs. These are men, if you know the story in Genesis, these were men that weren't perfect at all. They had many flaws that sinned, but they were faithful. And what do I mean by faithful? They trusted God and they sought after God and his blessings, his rewards. Verse 8, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that was that um, has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Once you hear that, Abraham, of course, was called, and God said, hey, uh, go to a land that I'll show you. He didn't even know where he was going. By faith, he left the land that he grew up in, that he was from. He lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And if you go through uh, the, the history and the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was all types of struggles, and they lived in tents never really claimed the promised land. This promise was a future promise, but they were looking forward to a city that the foundations and designer and builder is God. Abraham trusted God. He had faith in God. He was looking forward to a future grace, and that word grace, I mean gift, a future reward, a future city built by God. Skip down to verse 16. It says this, but as it is, they, this is the patriarchs, desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. In other words, they were eternally minded. They desired a, a better reward than anything this life had to offer. They trusted God for a future reward, a heavenly one. Therefore, and this is one of the most remarkable verses, I think, in all of Scripture. Listen to this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In other words, because they had faith in God, because they sought after a, a heavenly city, right? not just earthly rewards, God was not ashamed to be called their God. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament over and over and over again, what does God say? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God puts his name Yahweh with these three names. It's pretty remarkable. Listen, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not perfect, and, and I'm glad because I am not perfect. 
not perfect, but they had faith in God. They trusted him. When things were going, weren't going well, when things didn't, didn't make sense, which was often with these men, they sought God and they sought his rewards. Not perfectly. But look at verse 17 for an example. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And the one who had received the promise was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. We talk about a trial. Talk about trusting God. In fact, we just went over the story recently, and Abraham told the men that were with him that him and his son would go up to the mountain where he was supposed to offer up Isaac, his son. And he tells the men, we both will be back. Because he understood who God was. And he trusted him and he had faith in him. Verse 19 even says, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which also received him back as a type. In other words, Abraham had this heavenly mindset. He understood who God was, and he trusted him. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even rewarding things to come, or regarding things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And then listen to verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. This is hundreds of years before the exodus happened. And gave orders concerning his bones. This is referring to Genesis 50, verse 24. Let me just read it. It says this, And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Now I want you to think about Joseph for a second. Joseph has spent his entire adult life in Egypt. I mean, think about it. He was, a, he was a kid when they threw him into slavery. It was his childhood that he, he spent in the promised land. His entire life was in Egypt, outside of the promised land. Just vague memories of what the promised land was like. But listen to his faith. He says this, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That's faith. He believed God's promise. So much so, verse 25 says this, And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. That's from Egypt. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed his, him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now turn back to Exodus 16, verse 19. Or Exodus 13, verse 19, I'm sorry. Exodus 13, verse 19. This is hundreds of years later after Joseph made Israel swear. Verse 19 says this. Moses took took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you. Israel was leaving Egypt, Moses took Joseph's bones so that they could bury him in the promised land. You know what? The bones make it. 
Joshua 24, verse 32 says this, And as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the uh, piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, uh, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Listen, through all the, the struggles in Joseph's life, and just think of some of the struggles. I mean, God promises this great reward to Joseph in, in the beginning of his life, and then, then he gets sold into slavery. In fact, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. Not only that, his brothers didn't want to sell him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery. Then he starts making a, a home for himself and, and a name and a reputation as a slave, and he gets accused of something he didn't do. So he's thrown into prison. And Joseph's life was full of struggles. In fact, all the patriarchs' lives was full of struggles. Think of Abraham, who was promised right, many nations would come from him. And he was fatherless his whole life, even as an old man. Isaac, think of Jacob. His whole life full of struggles and battling with family members. Yet they all had faith. They weren't perfect. But they all had faith in God. And they all sought after his rewards. Again, verse 19 says, As Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they, this is Israel, and they moved from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. In other words, God appeared, right? His presence appeared and led the Israelites. And I just want you to think as of the story of Exodus, because Exodus is all about God revealing himself, revealing his name to the Israelites, not just the Israelites, but the Egyptians, to the world, even to us as we read through the book of Exodus. You get to the first few chapters, and God's name's not even mentioned. Yet he's completely sovereign over everything that's happening in the first two chapters. Then he appears in, in a fire in front, of, in front of Moses and speaks with him. Between him and the Israelites, then he appears in in miraculous way with ten amazing and awesome miracles, awesome plagues. And we get to this place, and he even appears in in a present form of, of, of a cloud and fire. It's becoming more and more revealed to the Israelites as we go through the book of Exodus, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, which becomes as I'm sure most of us know, a major theme in the book of Exodus. God leading the Israelites as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. You know, I was studying this, I would just read commentator after commentator after commentator that would say that this, this passage is the first time God has appeared as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. But I just don't think that's right. Turn with me to Genesis 15, verse 12. Again, we see another connection with this passage we're in right now. 
the faith of the patriarchs. In fact, I really think we see a connection here with this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire to the faithfulness of God. Genesis 15, verse 12. says this. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Now, again, this is well before Israel was a nation. In fact, Abram was not even Abraham at this point. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 13. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. God is predicting the Exodus with specific details. I mean, even timing. 400 years. Verse 14. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards, they will come out with many possessions, right? That's exactly what happens going through the narrative of Exodus. God is judging Egypt, and in fact, this will be the last judgment as we'll see at the Red Sea. But they come out also with many possessions. Remember, the Egyptians just gave the Israelites money, gold, fine jewelry, fine clothing. Verse 15. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the wrongdoing of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17. Now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch. What does that sound like? A cloud, a pillar of cloud, a smoking oven. This is incense coming out of the smoking oven making smoke pillar of fire, a flaming torch. Where the smoke and fire in, in this passage represents the presence of God. A smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces on the day of the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land, promised land. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. When we get to Exodus and we see the the pillar of cloud and the the pillar of of fire, this was a reminder of God's covenant that he's made with his people. That Abraham's descendants would inherit the promised land. To your descendants I have given this land. Listen again. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Joseph... They all had faith in this promise. They weren't perfect men. They were faithful. They trusted God. Even through their struggles, listen, they sought after God and his rewards, what he was promising. That's the faith of Joseph and the patriarchs. The next point is the blindness of Pharaoh. If you would turn back to Exodus 14. And I just want you to to compare and contrast this. We see the faith of Joseph that that even in when earthly circumstances are were horrible. Like Joseph is an amazing character. There's very few characters in scripture that there's nothing negative about. Joseph may be one of them. There's debate if he was arrogant as a child telling everyone about his dreams. 
But even if, even if you don't have that, like his whole life, he just faithfully trusted God. And he gets to the point where he's in prison, still just trusting God. Why don't you compare that faith, trusting God, even though circumstances were just so horrible, to the blindness of Pharaoh. Again, Exodus 14, verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Meg. See, in in front of Belzef or Belzephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. We don't know exactly where this is, but it's for sure between the Red Sea and the desert. Egypt being on the other side of the desert, which actually makes absolutely no sense because it, 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 there's nowhere to go. You have the sea on one side, and you have Egypt on the other side. But God had a plan. Look at verse three. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. In other words, Pharaoh's going to find out that the Israelites are trapped, that their backs are against the sea, and they have nowhere to go. Verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, we've seen this theme throughout Exodus, right? A common theme of, of Pharaoh's heart being hardened by God. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. Again, God is still revealing his name. He is still revealing his glory. He is not done with Pharaoh and the Egyptians yet. Not only that, God is still teaching Israel, and this is super important. God is still teaching Israel. Remember Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It was the most direct way. Why not? For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God is still teaching Israel who he is, that he is trustworthy. He is revealing his glory and nature to them so that they would trust him, so that they would put their faith in him, that that their faith would grow. God is taking Israel in an indirect way to the promised land. In fact, it takes 40 years, right? Two-week journey that that ends up being a 40-year journey. God's taking them indirectly, and he starts by taking them to the Red Sea with their backs against the sea, which made absolutely no sense. It made no sense from a traveling perspective when you can go a direct way, two weeks walk. It made no sense from a military perspective. Think about this. God has led Israel to a place where they're very vulnerable. It's a vulnerable position backs against the sea, and God is the one that led them there. But God had a plan. Again, look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, there's an implication here that he found out the Israelites were trapped. He's the one that kicked them out. He already knew they fled, but he finds out that they're trapped. Again, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that that the people had fled, the, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now, this is just a guess, but I think they realized, again, this is a guess on my part, how much work it was going to take to rebuild 
Egypt after 10 devastating plagues and that they just let their their workforce go, all their slaves. So when they found out that Israel was trapped in a very vulnerable position, backs against the Red Sea, they saw an opportunity to retake Israel. Verse 6, so he, this is Pharaoh, made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. In other words, everything Pharaoh had left, all of his army, he takes them and he's going after Israel. And overtook them and camped at the sea at Pihiroth in front of um, Belzephron. Again, I just want you to picture this. Pharaoh gathers his massive army. Remember, in Exodus 13, 17, Israel's not ready to fight. I'm sure Pharaoh knew this, right? They're a slave nation, no weapons, no training. On top of that, they're trapped in a very vulnerable position. There was absolutely no reason to think that Pharaoh wasn't going to, or wasn't going to retake Israel, that he was going to lose this battle somehow. Besides one thing, in fact, ten things, right? Ten awesome displays of God's power that he just witnessed. You know, this is important because I think we do this, right? Pharaoh was just focused on the earthly circumstances. He wasn't considering anything else. He he was just looking at his massive army that he has. He was considering Israel's weak defense. And he's completely forgot about Egypt's destruction in the past few months. Pharaoh's acting without any regard to God, which scripture calls foolish. Especially after, again, ten awesome displays of power, 10 plagues. I mean, just think about it. Egypt's in ruins, and God has made it very clear that Israel is his. And Pharaoh ignores all that, and is just paying attention to his large army and the earthly circumstances. This is what non-believers do. They're blind are hard. Romans 1 tells us to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, the truths that are plain to them. It was plain to Pharaoh that that Israel was God's. They suppress that truth. They focus purely on earthly things with no regard to godly things. This is what Pharaoh was doing. He is still which leads to the third character of this passage, and that's the Israelites. So the third point of the sermon is the fear of the Israelites. If we would look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Again, think of the context. They're trapped. One direction you have the Red Sea, 
the other direction, you have the world's most powerful army. And forget the Philistines. Egypt is the world's most powerful army, armed with the, the world's most advanced military technology, the chariot. This is an impossible circumstance that they found themselves in. In fact, it's an impossible circumstance that God led them directly to. Now, here's our temptation. When we face hard circumstances, the temptation is just to, to see the situation from an earthly perspective. Instead of seeing the situation from a godly perspective. Trusting in who he is. Again, listen to verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. I mean, I, I don't blame them. I mean, talk about a trial of faith. The Israelites responded with fear. They feared greatly. I mean, they're wrong, but I don't blame them because I'm so weak. <laughs> Let me just ask a question. This is an important question I think we should ask. What should have their response have been? You can say it out loud. I hear whispering. What? Trust? I heard it in the back. Joy. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I mean, that's such a hard verse, right? How could anyone count trials as joy? How can I be joy-filled in, in a circumstance like this, in an impossible circumstance? I have an army on one side and a sea on the other side. In other words, death on one side and death on the other side. You know, as I was studying this, it just Psalms 23 came to mind. Even though I walked through the valley, the shadow of death, death on one side, death on the other side. You read that psalm, and in fact, God is is having David lie down in green pastures. He's he's feeding him. There's a feast as death is on both sides. His cup overflows. Joy. How do you count trials joy? I think there's only one way, in faith. In faith, having faith that God causes all things, even our trials, to work together for good for those who love God. Romans 8, 28. Again, James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The Greek word for steadfastness is hapanmane which means steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. I, I like this, this translation, a commentator said it. It means something like stick to itness. <laughs> it's a technical thing. Again, again, remember why God took Israel this way. There's two reasons that we see in this passage. The first one is that God, that God may be glorified. It's very clear. Verse 4 says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God is revealing his name still, that he is Yahweh. 
he is going to get glory over Pharaoh. That's the first reason, but there's a second reason. Israel is not ready. Remember Exodus 13, verse 17, it says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. They're not ready. They don't have enough faith in me. So instead, God leads Israel, think about it, to a place where they're stuck between a sea and the most powerful army in the world. Talk about an object lesson. There's no escape. They have no option but to wait and see what God's about to do. This was God's plan. God is still revealing truths to Israel about himself. God is going to show Israel his power once again, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his sovereignty, his glory. That they should fear him over any army in any sea. has purposely put Israel in an impossible position. You know, God does that, right? God puts us in situations that just feel impossible to reveal his name and to produce steadfastness in his people. Strengthen their faith. Again, look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "It is, or is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know what the Israelites are acting like? Pharaoh. Just like Pharaoh, Israel is only looking at their earthly circumstances. They have forgotten God. They have forgotten his character. They have forgotten his power. They can only see this earthly trial. Acting like unbelievers. Their faith is weak leads to the last character. The last character is Mo- Moses, and I, I title this last point, The Courage of Moses, which I think is really ironic. Even a little funny when you think of Exodus 3 through 7, right? In Exodus 3 through 7, Moses was anything but courageous. In fact, he repeatedly questioned God for choosing him. In fact, at one point, he just begged God to send someone else, not him. Look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Think about it. This is Moses' greatest fear coming true. Pharaoh is after him and the Israelites. With all of his wrath and vengeance, with a massive army... The Israelites and him are trapped. But instead of cowarding, like he has done in the past, he's learned to trust God. Again, verse 13. Moses said to the people, Fear not, 
stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen, that's faith. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And I just love those two verses, verses 13 and 14. It's, remember the purpose of, of Exodus, because I think this is important. Again, God is revealing his name. He's revealing what it means that he is Yahweh. Look what it says in verse 14, the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, meaning that's the name of God, that's Yahweh. Yahweh will fight for you. In Exodus 3, Moses asked God his name. He says, what does it mean that you are Yahweh? And from that point on, God has been slowly revealing his name to him and the Israelites. Therefore, we get to this place where Moses has all this courage all of a sudden. It's only through the revelation of God's name. It's only through who God is that Moses has this courage. Moses, after God has revealed his name in, in miraculous ways, can, can now say, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You know, this verse reminds me of one of my favorite verses of all times in Scripture, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this. This is our calling. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So these are the four characters of this passage that I think really help explain this passage. You have Joseph, Pharaoh, Israel, Moses. You have the faith of Joseph and really the faith of the patriarchs. You have the blindness of Pharaoh. You have the fear of Israel. And you have the courage of Moses. And I really believe these four characters perfectly illustrate four ways you can face a trial. Four different ways you can face a trial. You can face a trial like Joseph in faith, trusting in two things, that there is a God, that, that he exists, and that he rewards those that seek him. So you seek after him in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Just like the patriarchs, we should desire a better country that is a heavenly one. We should face trials from a, a heavenly perspective in faith that, that our life is only a vapor promised a, a great joy, a, a better country, a greater reward, a heavenly one. You can face a trial in blindness like Pharaoh, like a non-believer without any regard to God whatsoever. You can face a trial with great fear like the Israelites, who just like Pharaoh can only see their earthly circumstances. Or you can face a trial with courage, like Moses, like a man. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. 1 
1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So let's end with this thought. I want to end with answering this question. How can we face a trial like Moses? How can we face a trial with courage? Turn with me to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Again, answer this question, how can you face a trial with courage? It's answered in this passage. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember Moses in this situation where he calls the Israelites to be strong. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, hey, you guys, you got this. Hey, hey, you know what? You need to believe in yourself. Stop doubting. He didn't say, hey, you guys can do this. You need to face your giants. Hey, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything, Israel. He didn't say, all you need to do is start believing in yourself. Just just try your best. Work hard. Follow your heart. That's not what Moses said. Listen, this is what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. You know what he was saying? He was saying, don't believe in yourself. (laughs) You know, that, that was Israel's problem. They were looking at themselves and saying, we have no chance. And that's because in themselves, they had no chance. They needed to start believing in God. And trusting in God. Listen, this is the message that society is telling us. Turn our eyes away from God and start looking at your own heart. Believe in yourself. And I'll tell you what, parents, this is what, what is getting driven to your kids every time they watch a Disney movie. Every time they turn on the TV. Take your eyes off God and start looking at yourself. That's what Israel's problem was. That was Pharaoh's problem. thought too highly of himself because he had an army he didn't consider God fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord the Lord will fight for you you have only to be silent again look at verse 10 Ephesians 2 or Ephesians um, 6 verse 10 it says this finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God let me ask this question whose armor is it Whose strength is it? Whose might is it? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but 
but against the rulers, against the authority, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Moses said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act like men. Be strong. Ephesians 6, 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. to stand? Well, it tells us, look at verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. In other words, if you want to stand firm, you want to act like a man, you want to be strong, know this. Fasten on the belt of truth. You know, I, I don't know... I think we're starting to see it. I'm starting to feel it the first time in my life, but I think for the longest time, Christians have forgotten that we are at war. You don't need God's armor if you're not at war. We're called to put on the belt of truth. We're called to know this. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, in other words, we're called to know this and do it. to do what it says. We're called to work on our sanctification. We're called to pursue righteousness. We're called to pursue Christ-likeness. Verse 15. And as for shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, as we, we do all this, we're, we're to remember that we are at peace with God. We're not at war with Him. It's purely through the good news, through the gospel, through what Christ has done for us, reconciling us to God. Therefore, when we mess up, we're at peace with him. We don't have to worry. We can go to him. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, trusting in two things, that there is a God and that he rewards those that seek him. Maybe not in this life, but definitely the next. He rewards those that seek him. Pursue his rewards, not earthly rewards. Again, verse 16, all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, all the temptations that he throws at you. If you're, if you're heavenly minded and you're, you're pursuing a greater joy than all, all the joys or pleasures this earth has to offer, you're not going to be tempted by it. and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's our only offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I'm just convinced that courageous and godly men, courageous and godly women, not only know God's Word, not only live and pursue righteousness, Share. 
Joseph said, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. You know, I've been just thinking a lot as I got to these two verses and been contemplating on what it means to be strong and courageous and and really as a man, what it means to be a man. And I'm convinced that what it means to be a true man, to be truly courageous, is to have faith in God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, circumstances come, Lord, and I know that there are many right now that I'm preaching to that are going through hard circumstances. I pray that they're courageous, not again, Lord, because they're strong, but you're strong, that they trust you, that they trust your sovereignty, that they trust your goodness, that they sleep well at night, Lord, that they're joy-filled because of who you are. I pray that would be true for me as I walk through trials, Lord, and Inevitably, as more trials come in my life, Lord, help me to to look to you, Lord, before I look at myself. God, reveal your name, reveal your truth, reveal who you are to us, Lord, so we could be like Moses and stand on those things courageously, Lord. God, help us to see what it means to be faithful us to trust you in hard times. In your son's name.